Good morning. Would you stand? We're going to read just five verses of Mark 13. We'll do a little responsive reading. The responsive reading in Psalm 119, I've actually jumped over a couple of the stanzas, eight verse stanzas, because this one, uh, in that part of it, he talks about trouble and anguish, which is what we want to talk about this morning. This word, clipsis, or trouble or tribulation. So I thought, we'll, we'll do this for a responsive reading. We'll go back and catch up. So Mark 13, when will these things be? You want to talk about the tribulation. And then as he went out of the temple, Mark 13, 1, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things are fulfilled? And Jesus answered them, answering them, began to say, Take heed that no one deceives you. Responsive reading, Psalm 119. I'm going to read 137 and the odd, and if you would read together the 138 and the even verses, and then I'll pray. So righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. My zeal has consumed me because my enemies have forgotten your words. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Trouble and anguish have overtaken me, yet your commandments are my delights. Let's pray. So, Lord, we're thankful for your word and thankful for Psalm 119 just over and over, just how precious, upright things we really need. For Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So give us ears to hear. We're hungry, Lord. I pray the things that I prepared, you would break them fresh for this time. Feed us, we're hungry. Bless, Lord, our desire to hear from you and then obey you, to respond. I pray for your encouragement, your comfort, your chastening, whatever it is that we need, you know, you know all too well. So search us, O God, know our hearts. Try us and see if there's any anxieties, things going on that are getting in the way of us fully trusting you, fully walking by faith in, in the, the freedom that you give to us in knowing the truth. Help us to live it so that we might experience it, please. So bless this time now in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I want to remind you too, if you, would, if you have time tomorrow night, we, every first Monday of the month, we pray for souls for one hour, 6.30 to 7.30, right in the fellowship hall. So if you would come and out and pray with us, that would be awesome. We want to see, we're seeing people getting saved. It's pretty fun. Uh, we just want to see a whole lot of people get saved, amen? So <clears throat> when will these things be, the tribulation? In an article in the Futurists magazine, writer Laura Lee catalogs some of the worst predictions of all time. Among them are these. It does, someone quote, it doesn't matter what he does, he will never amount to anything. That's what Albert Einstein's teacher said to Albert Einstein's father. In 19, that was in 1895. In 1949, a computer scientist named John Van Neumann said, quote, 
it would appear we have reached the limits of what, is, what it is possible to achieve with computer technology, unquote. Secretary of State said, quote, this is in 1954, the Japanese don't make anything the people in the U.S. would want, unquote. <laughs> and finally, Bob Metcalf in 1995 said this, quote, I predict the Internet will go spectacularly supernova and in 1996, catastrophically collapse, unquote. When it comes to the Bible predictions, 100% accuracy. Every time. Best forever and ever. God says it. It's true. It'll happen. So we're looking at, when will these things, we're looking at this whole area where Jesus is now addressing these prophetic things in the word of God. Peter gives us this, I think a great foundation for any time that we're talking prophetically, trying to study and understand the prophetic word. He said in 2 Peter chapter 1, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, Revelation, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, that's powerful. God, throughout the ages, has used the prophetic word to establish truth, to establish an understanding that God knows all things, and he can tell us beforehand. In fact, he even challenged the false prophets. Tell me what's going to happen. See if it comes true. God, 100% always right. And what he says will happen. Now, when it comes to people believing, Peter goes on in the third chapter and says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of, our, of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, first thing, know this that scoffers will come in the last days. They'll scoff, and they are. They scoff at Christianity. They scoff at some of these things. Walk, why? Walking according to their own lust. They don't care what God thinks. doesn't matter to them. And say, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Nothing's changed. It's all the same. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished. So things didn't just keep going as whatever normal is. But being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word, God's word, God himself, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Things are going to get bad. There is judgment coming. See, don't forget, there's scoffers. They're going to, ah. Then he says, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that the Lord, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years a day. Time is immaterial to God. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. God's not wondering what the next step is. 
as some count slackness, but is long-suffering. Are you not thankful for this verse? Is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to what? Repentance. You see, we need to repent. Every sinner needs to, that's the door to the grace and mercy and love and forgiveness of God is repentance. What does that mean? I'm just turning to God. And anyone that turns to God sincerely, God will, with open arms, take them, save them in understanding the gospel and responding to it. But in the last days, perilous times will come. Men, we love it themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unloving, unforgiving. And he gives this ugly list in Timothy. These last days, it seems to me since, <laughs> since Adam and Eve fell and sin entered the world, that it's always been the last days. It's just bad. At least this, and it's been over the ages. And we are seeing today things we never thought we would see as has also been the case in previous generations, to see how far our country has fallen. Now, parallel accounts of March, of, in Mark 13 are Matthew 24 and 25 and Luke chapter 21. These passages combine to give us a fuller picture, not complete in some ways, but a fuller picture of the end times, of what is, what, when will these things be. And so these studies that we're going to be take, taking, at least four more today and three more, this whole idea of when will these things be, today the tribulation, we're going to seek to just look at all these different parts of the puzzle, if you will, that we find that Mark here gives to us. So in verse 1 and 2, as he went out of the temple, one of the disciples said, teacher, and we looked at this last week, we, we looked at this remarkable uh, statement that Jesus made about this temple being destroyed stone by stone. And then verse 3, he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. So it's called the Mount of Ol the Olivet Discourse is what it's called because Jesus was there when he gave it. So he's looking over Jerusalem. He can see the temple. In just a couple days, he is going to be crucified. But right now, before that happens, he's got his disciples. They come to him and say, tell us when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? And then in verse 5, he gives, I believe, says this first of all, because it's so important. He says, he says to them, began to say to them, take heed, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Now, the greatest antidote to deception, his name is Jesus. The Holy Spirit and the Word of God, that we would know what God says, that we would compare that, and it would be illuminated by the Holy Spirit so that we are not going to be deceived. In a handout, up here, here's where we're going over the next four weeks, and maybe it'll get longer than that. I don't know. This also couples with Wednesday night. On Wednesday night, what in the world is going on? A biblical worldview, Bible prophecy, and a biblical response to current events. So we just got done talking about the Abrahamic covenant. It's been fun, interactive, but I will tell you this, even with my study this morning, is so much more that we could cover. So much more to this whole area in the prophetic word, in God's word altogether, but particularly events that are taking place. So I'm hoping I can help you with that. Somebody came up to me after first service and told me I need to slow down. <laughs> Nobody's ever told me that before. <laughs> so <laughs> the disciples from last week, we did a flyover. When will these things be? That's the question. So last week, Jesus said, 
in the flyover, such things must happen. This will happen. This will, will, will. You find that throughout the chapter. There's, there's going to be all these things, tribulation, all these. This will happen. This will happen. Not only you'll see it, but it will be happening to you. And so what he says central to that whole thing, this, such things must happen is do not be troubled because there's a lot of trouble. So now, this morning, we're going to look at the tribulation. The second thing Jesus said is, I have told you all things beforehand. So he's told them everything they need to know. And what the main deal with that is, you will see the Son of Man coming to gather his elect. How many say amen to that? You will see that. So I've told you all things beforehand. That's what you're looking for. I'm going to talk about the signs of those things, what's going to be happening. Next study, we'll look at the second coming of Jesus. Third, when you see these things happening, he says to them, take heed, watch, and pray. So the third one there will be watching for Jesus. We'll look at that. And then what I want to do is look at this challenging chapter in Matthew 25. In this chapter, the Holy Spirit has blessed us through the word of God. So Jesus in chapter 25 verse 1 says, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins. He starts to talk about the kingdom. These are sometimes called the kingdom parables. And they are challenging. So I'll give you some of the verses as we go. First one, then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins. Verse 14, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. He's going to talk about this kingdom thing that's coming up. In Matthew, in verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. What does that mean? It means that Jesus is going to sit on the throne of his glory. I believe in Jerusalem on the throne of David as King of kings and Lord of lords to reign over the earth for a thousand years. With the, we as kings and priests to our God. I believe that this life is God preparing us for that. That the responsibilities that we have in this life are preparing us for the responsibilities we'll be given in the kingdom age. So it doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter what you might think about your job. Do it faithfully as unto the Lord. In your marriage, with your children, with your grandchildren, with your generations, whatever that might be, at your job, with friends, be faithful to do it as unto the Lord. Allow the Holy Spirit to take your life and transform it by the power of the Holy Spirit where you are bearing fruit, fruit that lasts. Amen? So do it as unto the Lord. It doesn't matter. In other words, all these, what we would call secular, become sacred for the believer who's living his life to please God. And so, this kingdom's coming. So, he says there, he's going to sit on the throne. And then verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. Wow, that's a loaded statement. This kingdom that's been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But then he also says, he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you curse into everlasting fire. Notice, prepared for the devil and his angels. Wow, now that's, that's heavy stuff. But that's the truth. There's going to be a great divide. There's going to be great judgment. There's a kingdom coming. 
So in this chapter 25, we have these challenges. And then in verse 46, Jesus said, and these will go away to everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So we're going to look at chapter 25 and look at that whole thing of the preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. All right, so when will these things be? The tribulation. Three things, if it helps you, as it's helped me, three things. Number one, the tribulation, it comes because we believe and obey the word of God. That's why we experience tribulation. Secondly, the tribulation, it comes because we battle and oppose a world against God. And there's a world we live in that is opposed to everything God sanctifies, wants to sanctify in our lives. Third, the great tribulation that comes when God will judge the world according to his word. So those three things kind of highlight these passage, this passage that we're looking at. So in Mark 13, verse 19, we read, For in those days there will be tribulation. In Mark 13, 24, in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened. Now, in Matthew, three verses that kind of capture this. Matthew 24, 9 says, then they will deliver you unto tribulation, his disciples, his people, and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Notice that. All nations for my name. He's speaking directly to these disciples, these Jewish disciples. Secondly, in verse 21, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, or ever shall be. So this thing called the great tribulation, same word, all the tribulation, same word. Clipsis in Greek. We'll look at that. And then in 29, he says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be, shall be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. What sign is it going to be? What are we going to look for? Then the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. I can't ever get out. Every time I read that now, Greg Glory said, coming with power and Greg Glory. So every time I read, I'm thinking, Greg Glory. No, great glory, okay? <laughs> Verse 31. You know, everyone know who Greg Glory is? He's a pastor of Calvary. Okay, big. Okay. And he'll be there too, but I'm going to be with them. Amen? We're all going to be with them. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. There's a gathering coming, and I'm looking forward to it. So the tribulation that comes because we believe and obey the word of God. Now, in the parable of the sower, some would call it the parable of the soils, that Jesus gave four responses to the word of God. A hard heart, an emotional, a hard response, an emotional response, a divided response, and a good response, a fruitful response. So the hard heart, but then you have this, the, um, the hard heart that doesn't, nothing happens, but then the stony heart. But he who received the seed on stony places, the word, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. In other words, it's an emotional response to the word of God. Woo, I like what that says. Yet he has no root in himself. Emotion will never take you deep with God. It's a part of a relationship for sure. But emotions in themselves do not bring depth. 
So immediately he received it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. Nothing happens deeply inside. For when tribulation, that's the word, or persecution arise because of the word, immediately he stumbles. So we experience tribulation because we believe and obey the word of God. The tribulation that comes because we battle and oppose the world, a world against God. And in 1 John chapter 2, he addresses this. This he says, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can't have two masters. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, passions, the lust of the eyes, possessions, and the pride of life, position. They become what, we dri what drives our lives, one or all of them. This is the world. This is the system that's opposed to God. So my passions, I want to do what I want to do when I feel like doing it, and God, you can't have any say in that. I can go and do this, that, and the other thing. Passions are the God. Passions are the drive. Possessions. Oh, man. <laughs> that's a tough one. But that, if that's what drives your life, if that's what drives my life, then the love of the Father is not in me. My love for that will cancel my love for the Father. And thus my love for others. The lust of the, and, and the lust of the pride of life, which is my position. It's not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. I know that you're here. I'm here because we love the word of God. We want to know what God says. But how easily these other things, my passions, my possessions, my position, begin to crowd out my love for God, my relationship with God. And all God's saying is, do just surrender them to me, and I'll take and sanctify your life in ways you never thought possible. I'll take the things you give me, and I'll work with you in conforming you to the image of Jesus Christ. And in so doing, preparing us. You see, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, I must always choose to be in conflict with the world, the flesh, and certainly the devil. There's a battle that goes on. And I'm in a battle because I believe and obey the word of God. I know the world is in opposition to that. These things can oppose my relationship with God. In other words, as a disciple, the world is never my friend. These things can be so crowding out what really I want to be, I want God to be doing in my life. So he said, take heed and no one deceives you. Take heed to these things that are in opposition to God. Take heed to this battle that we're facing against the world, the flesh and the devil. Take heed to that. And now he's saying here, because here's what's going to be happening Wars, rumors of wars. Take heed, no one deceives you. They're going to take you. There's going to be nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, earthquakes. It's going to get really troubling. These things are happening. There's going to be a lot of deception going on. Don't be deceived. Don't be terrified. Wars and rumors of war. You know, it seems like the longer I live, the more I realize we're a human race bent on our own destruction. 
And then you hear, you know, tell me if you're cynical as I am. I think we should be. You hear, oh, well, we just need to have peace in the world. So we just need to, you know, like the hippies. Love and peace. What in the world is going on? <laughs> it's anything but that without God. And the more we get away from God, the less these things are even possible. Wars and rumors are going to increase and increase. And when, when God takes his hand and sort of releases things to go their own direction, it never gets better. He gave them over to these things in Romans chapter 1. Nation rising against nation, earthquakes. And then he says, these are the beginning of sorrows, which really means birth pangs. When a woman is in labor, the pangs increase with regularity and frequency. That's the picture, birth pangs. All these things are just getting ready for a birth. Birth of what? Well, and one, one part of it is the great tribulation. It's going to be coming. These labors and signs of pain and tribulation and anguish. It says, watch out for yourselves, verse 9. They're going to deliver you up to councils. They're going to, you're going to be beaten. You'll be brought before rulers for a test. But hey, I will be there with you. I will speak through you. So take heart with that. When they arrest you and deliver you up, don't worry beforehand. Don't be troubled. They'll deliver you up to tribulation and they're going to kill you. That's the tribulation of this world. But not a hair of your head shall be lost. <laughs> Some of us made that a little easier on the Lord. I don't know. I think we're going to have full heads of hair. What do you think? We get to heaven. Not a hair. It's, he's, he's saving them. My hippie dreadlocks, you know. <laughs> I didn't have dreadlocks. I just had long hair. I don't know how I did that. In fact, I used to have vision problems because my hair would be over one eye. Has nothing to do with this passage, but there it is. Okay. <laughs> but notice what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after I have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you shall fear. Fear him who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Fear God. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins and not one of them is forgotten before God? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Are you not thankful for the love of God, the care of God? He's got my, he's got my number, even down to my last hair. He's got it. So don't fear any of those things. They can do what they are. And are we, we're seeing this horrific stuff going on. It's been the case of, of, from the beginning of the church, persecution, tribulations, killing them. And I believe if it come, came down to that, that God in his grace and mercy would shower me and walk me right through that fiery furnace. Walk me right out of that fiery furnace, whatever it might be. Sometimes I say, well, how am I, gonna, I don't want to go through that. But should the Lord lead me, he will keep me. He will watch over me. I am not alone. Not alone. He says, by your patience, possess your souls. In Luke chapter 8, again, concerning the word of God. 
But the ones that fell on good ground, that good seed, are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart sincerity, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Are you a patient person? I'm not. The greatest work that God does as far as patience in my life is in a CRW. What is it called? CRV, yeah. I get in that car, and I'm now God's patient. He says, patience. Be patient. Let God do his work. Take a deep breath. I'm going to kill you. (laughs) Psalm 37, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. One thing to commit it, another one, to trust him with it. Commit it to the Lord, trust him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. It's so easy to get angry. Cease from anger. Forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. Trust the Lord. Be patient. Wait. Charlotte sent me an email. I come in early on Sunday mornings to get ready, and she sent me an email early this morning when I first got in. It said, it woke up, simple, woke up with this song on my mind. How many of you know who Andre Crouch is? You're old. (laughs) Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other, because Jesus is the way. There's no other. And so I love it when the Holy Spirit does that to me. It gives a little, you know, you start, you find yourself a lot of times after you come out on Sunday, there's a song that sort of sticks in there. I believe that's the Holy Spirit. Just sort of in your heart, worshiping God. Be patient. Be patient because God is working in you the things that he wants to do in your life. Tribulation, we'll look at the word in a moment, is a huge part of God's way in shaping our lives in this area of patience. In Romans chapter 15, whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Hebrews, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence. It takes diligence. It takes the comfort of the scriptures. It takes patience. We desire each one to show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. There's an inheritance coming for us. For God made, when God made a promise to Abraham... Because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Bless, surely, bless, and I will bless you, and multiply, I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Abraham. 
Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. You have need of endurance so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise yet for yet a little while. It's interesting, always to this end. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. In James, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Patience. We must need patience a lot because God keeps talking about it in the context of tribulation. But let patience have its perfect work. Let it do the work that God wants to do. Patient, waiting for him, trusting him, reading our Bibles, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak into our lives. Let that happen. Let it have its perfect work, its complete work, that you may be yourself perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Impatience comes often because we're not happy with what we don't have or what's not happening or it's not happening too fast. It's happening, not having fast enough. And then James again with this end. Therefore, we praise, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. God is cultivating our lives. Just like a farmer waits, God is waiting himself, working in us, wait, waiting patiently for it. For it until it receives the earlier latter rain. Whatever God's doing is early in their latter. There's things he's doing all the way along. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So when you see the abomination of desolation. We talked a little about this last week. I'm going to leave it at that. If you want more on that. Uh, we'll probably get to this on Wednesday night, what that exactly is. But basically, the Antichrist is going to stand in the temple of God. It's going to be, I believe, rebuilt during the Great Tribulation period, seven years. Three and a half years into that tribulation period, this is begin with Daniel 9, 24 to 27, that prophecy. During that three and a half years, he's going to come into that temple. He's going to be, say, he's going to break the covenant, whatever it was, the, with Israel. He's going to stand in the holy place and declare himself to be God and be worshipped. That's the abomination of desolation. And Jesus said, when, you, when that happens, you get out of Dodge right away. It's going to be bad. There'll be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. There's a break point, seven years period of tribulation, the de- 70th week of Daniel, seven years, the end of three and a half years. This first upfront three years is going to be on, on the feigning of peace from the Antichrist. Make this covenant of peace. He's going to break that covenant, I believe, my, my understanding of this prophecy. He's going to stand in the holy place. Three and a half years, okay, three and a half years, very bad. And God's, Jesus saying to them, I think prophetically, to those who are here, get out of Dodge. Jerusalem, there'll be tribulation. Get great peril. Get out of there fast immediately. Now, Zechariah tells us that two-thirds of the Jewish nation, during that, those last three and a half years, Two-thirds of the Jewish nation will be caught in the flood of persecution. It's not over for Israel yet. You see what's going on there today. It's interesting prophetically. You look at Zechariah chapter 13, 8 and 9. Two-thirds of the Jewish nation will be caught in the flood of persecution, and one-third will survive. Another holocaust. Modern-day Jordan, it's possible that that this, this place where they flee, the, the, God tells them, get out of Dodge, and they flee. They flee to the rock city of Petra, located in modern-day Jordan. 
and there God protects them. Daniel chapter 11, verse 41. Jordan seems to be given special place. If you look at your map, if you're probably looking at your lap map a little more of the Middle East, seems that Jordan is given protection during the last great invasion of Israel that kicks in this three and a half years, which will devastate the land. The prophet Isaiah instructs the believing remnant of Israel to find a safe hiding place during the time of Jacob's trouble. And he will protect them there. Some believe, many believe that that is the rock city of Petra in Jordan. Isaiah tells them, come out, my, come out, my people. So in that last period of the tribu great tribulation period, Jerusalem will be attacked and overrun by foreign armies one more time. That's what's coming. Zechariah announces it will happen just prior to the Messiah's return to the city. The prophet Joel also describes his final invasion. Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming is at hand, the day of darkness. So this day of the Lord, you read about the day of the Lord in the Bible, it's a long segment of time. It's speaking about this God's ultimate judgment of the world because of the rebellion of man against him. And so as I understand this, this whole prophetic, it's yet future. Some believe the prophecy has already been fulfilled in 70 A.D., and that's for another study. It would take a long time to devour that. So then he says, verse 21, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, he's in, the, in there, don't believe it. For false Christ and false prophets, verse 22, will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. But take heed, see, I have told you all things beforehand. This sets the stage for the next Sunday's study, which is the second coming of Jesus. But in those days, verse 24, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great glory and power, and then he will send his angels and gather together his elect. That's in Mark chapter 13, next week. So I want to pull back now and just the Bible has much to say about the reality of tribulation apart from this event called the Great Tribulation, which is a, te it's a technical theological term called the Great Tribulation. So this word thlipsis in the Greek is used for that. However, it's used much more often in this whole area of the tribulation that comes because we believe and obey the Word of God and because we battle and oppose a world that's against God. That's for us today. Thlipsis. Tribulation. It's also uh, translated affliction when you read your Bible. Affliction. Distress. Persecution. Opposition. It expresses sheer physical pressure. It's a strong term. It doesn't mean some minor inconvenience. It means real hardship. Real difficulty. It has this figurative sense of being crushed under intense pressure. Now, we don't like to think about this stuff, but there are many of our brothers and sisters in the world that have to think about it, that have to consider these things. It seems to me, as I look at what's going on here, we need to think about these things. Think about how we're looking at life. Do I love the world and the things in it? Am I listening to God and what he's saying? Am I giving myself to his word? 
and really immersing myself in knowing it and, and hiding it in my heart? Am I really coming to God with my sin and my repentance to the cross, confessing my sin? Is my relationship with God one that's center, paramount, and the most important thing in everything else that I do? Because you see, these things are not, we don't avoid them by that, but we're able to walk through them and grow because of them. Philipsis, persecution, pressure. Ralph Earl said, quote, the figures suggest the heavy pressure of life that sometimes, be, sometimes becomes almost unbearable. One feels as if he is being trodden down until he cannot take it any longer. You ever felt that way? We all have those moments, those things that are going on. Slipsis, tribulation. In Scripture, the word is used most often of outward difficulties, but it is also used of emotional stress, John MacArthur. And finally, the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia says, Slipsis de derives from roots that graphically portray the process in which a person is first limited, then walled in, and gradually squeezed until something must give. So this tribulation is the path believers are destined to tread in this present life. In the world, you will have tribulation. Those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will, will, will experience tribulation. It's the inevitable troubles that come upon all followers of Christ because of their relationship with him and because of his word. This is what happens. So Jesus said in John chapter 16, Jesus answered, do you now believe? So the disciples said, oh man, now we believe. We get it. You're the man that came. We got the whole thing. But Jesus said to them, he's going to the cross. They're going to all forsake him. He says, indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come that you will be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone because the Father's with me. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have what? Tribulation, but be a good cheer. I have overcome the world. We have to stay close to Jesus. And when he had, in Acts chapter 14, some of these words used, and when they had preached the gospel of that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. They had a reality check, and we need reality checks, don't we? It's easy to be comfortable. I would say I'm very comfortable. Is God saying, well, you need to be more comfortable? No, no, no. What I need is God, the great comforter, to come into my life in such a way that I begin to understand that what he is wanting in my life is, this word actually is used for, for squeezing grapes and bringing out the wine. He wants to put me in those places where he can do just that. Put the squeeze on, if you will in order to bring out the fruit and the, the wonderfulness of having an abiding relationship with him. Now, in Acts chapter 20, Paul to the Ephesian elders said, And see now, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing, that, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city that chains and tribulations await me. Oh, really? Oh, great. I'm going to tribulate. Now, Don McClure was just with us. Did our, our little retreat up 
And I, in preparing for that Calvary Chapel Association Leaders Conference, some of you went to that up at Skagit Valley. In preparing for that, as we talk, I was talking to the other guys that are part of the CCS, CCA board, I'm one of them. He, I said, you know, I think what would be really timely is to ask Don McClure if he would talk about none of these things move me. Because at a conference several years ago, he did a message on this passage when he says, verse 24, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And in that message, which was powerful, and many others heard it, and I've heard, heard them talk about it for many years ago. So he came up and he did that. But the thing in that conference that so struck me, he said, what moves you? What moves you? And he just was giving examples in his own life of how things that, the tribulation, pressures, stress, anguish that he went through in his journey with Christ. He said, what moves you? I thought, wow. There's a lot of things that move me. Paul said, none of these things move me. How did Paul come to that? He came to that place because of tribulation and anguish. You read his testimony. What he went through for the sake of Christ and the sake of the gospel and his love for Jesus. What he went through. You know, a lot of times you go, oh man, I just like to have that sort of be like that. You have no idea what that person has gone through to become like that. I'll t put a banner, it's tribulation, it's trials, it's difficulties that begin to wean us away from things that we trust and think give us life, but they really actually lead to stumbling and cliffs and chasms. And Jesus would take our hand and gently lead us away with him through the furnace, through affliction, through difficulty. That's why I love this passage, my favorite, maybe in all the Bible. Well, two of them, but Romans, the book of Romans. He says there in Romans 8, well, he says Romans 8, 28. We all know it. We say it every Sunday out in the, in the thing. And we know that all things... Well, all, you guys who do the little, um, our little huddle out there. And we know that work together to those who, to those who are called according to, yeah, to yeah. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, not just anybody. To those who are called according to his birth. For whom he foreknow, he also predestined. Whom he predestined, he also called. Whom he called, he also glorified. And, and you say, wow, this is cool. But he's leading up to something in Romans 8. He says this, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Or distress? Or persecution? Or famine? Or nakedness? Or peril? Or sword? Question mark. As is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. Yes, we are killed all day long. We are counted the sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
He went through all of those things. He comes out the other side, I am persuaded that neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate me from the love of Christ, which love of God which is in Christ Jesus. He's saying, I'm persuaded. How, how is he persuaded? He went through it. These things going to separate me from the love of God? No, God's way bigger than any of those things. God holds me in the deepest chasms. And underneath, says, are the everlasting arms. You can't go deeper than God's love. You can't flee from it. Jonah tried that. You can't. You can't outrun God. See, it's the path we're destined to travel. This is traveling the tribulation. So here are four things in closing. Can I have the worship team come out? Just to peg on wherever you want to peg. Number one, because I have a relationship with God, because I have his word, my faith is in God. I will trust God in all of my tribulation. Secondly, my focus is on God. I know that God will lead me through any, every tribulation, every trial, every affliction, he will lead me all the way my Savior leads me. I'm going to focus on God. Third, my freedom is in knowing God. It's knowing God. Knowing that God causes all things to work together for good. That these temporary tribulations work in me a far more exceeding and eternal Weight of glory, how I know him. I know my Savior. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God. And finally, I love this. My future is serving God in his kingdom forever and ever. I mean, we're serving God now. I trust you are. Not going to be anything compared to what it's going to be like when he's ruling and reigning this earth, when he has his throne in Jerusalem, when we are gathered together for a thousand years and righteousness covers the land as the waters cover the sea, and Jesus Christ is the one that everyone is, is answering to, and there we are, and we're just serving Jesus for a thousand years. It's not going to get old. It's just going to get better. Stan, let's worship.